Welcome back, everybody, to the Skeptic Fence Show. Tonight's guest will be no stranger to many. He runs the website politicalislam.com and is the author of many books that pertain to Islam, like The Foundations of Islam, A Simple Quran, and Muhammad and the Unbelievers, to name a few. I, I like that name, though. Muhammad and the Unbelievers. It sounds like a rock and roll band from the 60s. It's like, everybody, everybody put your hands together for Muhammad and the Unbelievers. <laughs> Dr. Bill Warner, uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here to discuss politi political Islam. Are you there? Yeah. I'm here, oh. ready to be. Go. I'm, uh, I need to, uh, this is, yes, hot. I'm ready to go. It's okay. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're good. Not. <laughs> you're, you're okay, man. Uh, I got a little bio here. Bill Warner holds a Ph.D. in physics and math at North Carolina State University, 1968. He has been a university professor, businessman, and applied physicist. Dr. Warner has a long life interest in religion and its effects on history. He has studied the source texts of the major religions for decades. Even before the, even before the destruction of the World Trade Center, he has predicted the war between Islam and America. The day after 9-11, he decided to make the source texts of Islam available to the average person. Dr. Warner's training in scientific theory and mathematics shaped how he analyzed Islamic doctrine. The first step was realizing that the Islamic texts had been made deliberately difficult to read and comprehend. A program, the Trilogy, Trilogy Project, was created to strip away the confusion in the text. It became clear that Islam is not constructed on the same civilizational principles as the rest of the world. Simple statistical methods revealed that dualism and submission was the foundation principles of Islamic doctrine. Uh, Bill, would you like to add anything there? Well, that's a good roaring start, I would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to do uh, intros and bios so everybody can get to know our uh, guest. Um, now, me personally, I studied Islam um, online basically for the last year. I do, um, do want to buy a few of your books. Uh, on top of interviewing ex-Muslims, I recently interviewed an ex-Muslim, American, you know, ex-Muslim, and they basically mirror everything you have to say about Islam, which is, of course, the objective approach we should all have when it comes to the doctrines and what it states and promotes and so on. Uh, my first question is, like I stated, was, uh, or is, I'd like for all our viewers to get to know our guests. So who is Bill Warner? Also feel free to include an overview of your academic background, including why you spent 30 years researching and addressing political Islam. Well, as you said in my bio, which I, of course, wrote, I've always had an interest in the effects of religion on history. And uh, so, of course, the effects of Christianity on history are fairly well known by most people. But I've been interested also what it has to do with others, in particular Islam. So uh, I want my, my approach to Islam is, number one, I only care about the part of Islam that deals with me. I'm a kafir. Yeah. I don't believe that Muhammad was the prophet of Allah, and I believe that the Quran is a derivative work that qualifies me to be an unbeliever. So I'm interested in how Islam affects me. Call me selfish, but that's just my point of view. So, and I also don't care anything about the religion of Islam. Uh, I don't care if they pray five times a day facing Mecca or pray never at all facing Michigan. I just, I mean, the religion of Islam just simply has no interest to me at all. No, I so those, that's the beginning. No, absolutely. What I want to talk about, and it's a follow-up question here, is let's talk about the trilogy when it comes to Islam and why is it that some factions of Islam tend to ignore the Sunnah? Well, 
I don't know if they ignore the Sunnah or not. There are no less than 91 verses in the Quran which state that every Muslim is to imitate Muhammad in every aspect of their life. And this produces an entire huge body of text called the Hadith, which are little traditions of Muhammad, like when he laid on his back, did he put his left foot on top of his right foot or his right foot on top of his left foot? And yes, we know that information. Yeah, we do, yeah. When we went to the bathroom, how many times did he wipe his backside? I am not making this up. These are recorded. It was always an odd number. So we have a massive amount of behavior of Muhammad that is to be modeled. Now, as to whether Muslims pay any attention to this or not is not a question I deal with very much because I don't talk about Muslims, really. What I talk about are, is Islam. Now, we'll talk about concepts like moderate Muslim, radical Muslim, peaceful Muslim. Yeah. But in I'm interested in doctrine, ideas, words on paper. And because if you want to talk to Muslims to find out about Islam, you're going to get some peculiar answers. Let me assure you oh, of that. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, talk to a lot of Jews about what, what Judaism is. It's like, so I go to the text. I don't go to the people. Yeah, and a lot of people uh, do the same thing as you are doing. You you address the doctrine, Islam itself. Some people do address Muslims and the way they act and how they adhere to their doctrine, uh, Islam. And a lot of people, when they address Islam, they really never bring up, they talk about the Quran, but they really never bring up the Hadith or the Sirah. And I think you that's, know, that's important right is, there. As a matter of fact, this is one of the ways, if you deal with a man who's only talking Quran, you're either dealing with a very professional Muslim Brotherhood type, yeah. or you're talking with somebody who doesn't know squat. Bingo. Usually it's they right. don't know squat. Thank you. And <laughs> I tell people, if you want to learn about Islam, the last thing you read is the Quran. And that's not a, that's literally the left what you want to do. You first want to start off with the study of Muhammad, read his biography. First off, it is a fabulous read. We need to make a movie of this man's life, and I don't mean in any kind of ironic, satirical, or put-down way. I mean just to record his life. You have secret agents, you have spies, counter-spies, plots, schemes, assassination, sex slaves, battles, surprise attacks. Yeah. You got sex, you got violence, you have power. What do you need for a movie? Well, I think the title of, of that movie should be Muhammad and the Unbelievers. How about that? I think there's, so, too. There's another, there's another way we can use that uh, title there. But anyway, no, I mean, right. so if once you understand Muhammad, then you have a way to understand the Quran. For instance, everybody who tries reading that book, the Quran comes back and goes, I can't make out. Is it peaceful or is it violent? Yeah. But once you read the story of Muhammad, you understand that there were two Muhammads. There was an early Muhammad in Mecca and a latter Muhammad in Medina. Medina yeah. Let's summarize his life real quick. This will take about 15 seconds. He preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and garnered 150 followers. That's about 10 a year. They ran him out of Mecca because they said he was divisive. He went to Medina, which had three tribes of Jews and two tribes of Arabs. And two years later, the Jews were all gone. And at the end of his life, by practicing an act of jihad on the average of once a month, that is, there, he committed 100, that's not 101, that's not 99, 100 acts of jihad wow. in nine years' time. So what have we got here? By the way, when he died, he was overwhelmingly successful because every Arab in the Hijaz, central part of Arabia where he was, was a Muslim. So let's, rec let's recover. If he died... Well, he preached the religion of Islam for 13 years and was a failure. He became a politician and a jihadist and was an overwhelming success. Now then, this leads you to understand the Quran. There's the early peaceful part and the latter very jihadi part. So by studying his life, when you read the Quran, <clears throat> everything makes sense. 
It's all like, oh, yeah. We've got the jihad versus when we need them, and we've got the peaceful preacher model versus when we need those. Very good rants there, and you're 100% right. When it comes to, like, I, I make a lot of videos about Islam and Muslims and, and terrorist attacks and stuff like that. And when when I see my comments of people saying, well, the Quran says this, Quran says like that, says this and says that, I say, well, do you know anything about Muhammad? And that's that's my go-to point. It's like, well, research the traditions, the hadith, go, go research Muhammad, the type of person he was in, you know, a Meccan period and a Medina period. I'm like, this is what it boils down to. And, and people don't realize that if Muhammad died in the Meccan period, I don't think we would have Islam, would we? Well, if we extrapolate that's a fancy word for saying if he did in the future what he did in the past, when he died, there would be about 700 Muslims. That's not enough for to get a good running start on history. Yeah, I don't think that would survive, yeah. No, I think you're right on that. Um, my next question is pertains to a, uh, a story that recently came up in the news. Are you familiar with it, where seven Muslim women are suing a California restaurant named Earth Cafe? Have you heard about what? that? You didn't hear about that story? No? No. Well, basically what happened is that there was these seven Muslim women, and they're suing this cafe because they were kicked out, violating the policy of stay, you know sitting at a table for more than 45 minutes. Now, it's a multicultural business. The owner is Jewish, and the, and the wife is Muslim. And now what they're stating is why they're suing is that they believe they were kicked out from the restaurant for being, quote, visibly Muslim. Now, I want to talk about jihad here, as as most of the women actually wore uh, headscarves. Now, would this be an example of nonviolent jihad, jihad of speech? And to expand, do you think there is jihad happening in the States in which many people may be blind to? Excellent question. There are four kinds of jihad. Now, the kind you only read about in the media is the jihad of the sword, or the 737, or improvised explosive devices. But anyway, violence, the jihad of murder. That's what gets in the news. I am not concerned about the jihad of murder. Well, I am, but I mean, let's give an example. There were 3,000 people killed on September 11, 2001. Yeah. I do not know how many drunk teenagers were killed in that same year, but I'll bet you it was more than the 3,000. Oh, yeah. And, and I have no idea. I'm just saying I bet it is. Now, this is not to diminish the suffering of those people and their families, but losing 3,000 people in one day's time in one event does not change the course of a nation. Now let's look at the other forms of jihad which will destroy our civilization. There's jihad of speech, writing, and money. Now there you're getting into a serious jihad. Let me give you an example. Here in Tennessee now, if you're in the seventh grade, when you go to study what they call world geography, which is what we used to call history, you'll discover that Islam was the greatest civilization that ever lived. Islam was the first to give women their rights. Islam is the most tolerant ideology in the world. Who says so? Well, the textbook companies say so, and these textbooks have oh, been approved yeah. by the committees here of education in Tennessee. So now then, we're going to have a whole generation of Tennesseans who think, wow, this Islam thing is really cool. It's a wonderful thing. It's the great civilization. That is jihad of writing. Then we have jihad of speech, which you see all the time. And then we have jihad of money. Now, you look, gentlemen look like you're old enough to understand this without shocking you too badly. Did you know that money can buy influence? Absolutely, of course. I had no clue. On, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so no one's given you enough this is the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so here we have jihad of money, which is, now by the way, there are some things about Islam which I'm a fan of. And one of these is this. They will put their money where their mouth is. 
they will gladly donate to any act of jihad, whether it's lawfare, that is, you're suing people such as myself to keep me quiet. I sat in a mosque in Southern California, and in 20 minutes' time, out of a group of about 50 people, I couldn't see the women, but of about 50 men, they raised nearly $20,000 for lawfare. You can't get that much money out of an ordinary group. So they are committed to winning, and it is a civilizational jihad that they want to win with. The jihad of the sword is really the only benefit we have of Islam because it serves to wake us up. But what's really terrible are the termites and the woodwork, and that's the Islamification of our laws, the Islamification yep. of our textbooks. That is serious damage. So out of the four forms of jihad, the one we pay the most attention to is the least important. Yeah, a lot of people call that civilization jihad, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment. I'm well aware of what you just said, and... Uh, probably because of your videos to be honest with you so you make a uh, wonderful video so if you guys are not subscribed to uh bill warner here is um youtube channel's political islam and his website is politicalislam.com check it out support bill um my last question here and i'll pass you over to grant um let's talk about the islamic Re reformation uh has there ever been any reformations within islam yes there has yeah has, has no, i'm laughing here but I'm not going to give you the answer you're looking for. We've had several Islamic reformations in the 20th century. Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, uh, Islamic State, these are all reform movements. Wahhabism, these are all reform movements. See, what people think reform means is that when you reform, you become all sweet and nice and lovey-dovey and, hey, we don't care about the Islam thing anymore, let's give everybody a big hug. Reform means to go back to the foundations. Well, Islamic State is pure, 100% Sunnah. It's exactly after the pattern of Muhammad. They go through a lot of trouble to point out that, hey, you criticize us about our sex slaves? Check it out. Muhammad's yeah. companions had sex slaves. He had sex slaves, so sex slaves are Sunnah. So therefore, it is a reformation to assert that we go back to the foundations. We go back to the original. We're recreating the original Islam. So yes, Islam can be reformed, but it has very different consequences as to what you think you're yeah, going to get. Yeah, definitely. And um, to expand on that, can there be a reformation like the one Majid Nawaz speaks of? Don't know. What is, what is the reformation that he says? Uh, basically, Majid Nawaz basically uh, thinks there could be a reformation where they can... Um, he, he thinks there's going to be a demographic of Muslims out there, which there are, that are peaceful. And he speaks that the Quran could be a peaceful <laughs> means to, um, you know, to reform the faith of Islam into the majority of them being peaceful, and that we could eliminate, you know, Islamic um, uh, terrorism, so on and so Secularize. forth. Secularize. Secularize, yeah, Muslims. How do we do that? I, I don't know. <laughs> that means you have to throw away 40% of the Quran. Right. I mean, how do you throw it away? And how do you go through and say about all the traditions of Muhammad? All these, there are roughly 7,000 traditions in Bukhari, the chief collector of, of uh, hadiths. Yeah. So how do you go through? You say, well, this one where jihad is being practiced and they're cutting off people's heads, we'll throw that one on. We'll throw that one out. On what basis do you throw it out? Yep. The Sunnah is perfect. Remember, 91 verses in the Quran say that Muhammad's the perfect pattern. And you're saying, well, you know, there were some of those things about Muhammad. Well, we don't like so much, so we want to throw that out. How do you do that? Yeah. And you, like say, in the Quran, uh, nearly 40% of it was written in Medina. 24% of the Quran written in Medina is about jihad. So you're going to say, well, we're just going to throw that out. It's not a verse or two. It is a systemic doctrine. Jihad comprises the most of his biography, 21% of the hadith, 
And as I told you, 24% of the Quran written in, in Medina, that is a systemic doctrine. Yeah. You can't just go, well, it's a verse or two, and we don't like it anymore. Islam is not a buffet in which you get to pick and choose. You have to eat it all. And we have one more problem. These contradictory verses, the ones that come along the war against the peace, abrogation, explicitly says that the latter verses are better than the earlier verses. The latter verses are the jihad verses. So you're going to say, well, we're going to throw the good stuff out. Am I making sense here? Yeah, it's abrogation, correct? Yeah, but I mean, what I'm saying is, how do you, you can't just say, well, we don't like the bad stuff. No, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. I think people think about that because they're uh, they're thinking of like cafeteria Christians who just pick and choose the good parts of the Bible and they throw the rest out. Yeah. yeah. So they probably yeah, figure that you so. can do the same thing with with uh, Islam. But it doesn't work that way, at least according to the ground rules of Islam. Now, by the way, I don't do a lot of comparative religion, but I think that you people do figure that well, Islam got. I mean, Christianity got nicer, so Islam just needs to do the same thing and get nice. Well, isn't there a hierarchy involved? <clears throat> when it comes to well, the Muslims, at, yeah. Islam is at the top. Then next comes Christianity, according to the Quran. It says of the Christians and the Jews, the Jews are the Christians are better for Islam than the Jews. Oh yeah, yeah. You have the Jews in third place, then you have the pagans in fourth place, and then last off, I have atheist friends who think all this stuff about religion doesn't bother me because I don't have to believe in God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my, <laughs> the doctrine of Islam is hardest on the atheist of all, unless we have that one last one called the apostate. You are so right on that, man. You know how many atheists? I'm oh, an yeah. atheist myself, and all these guys here were atheists. And, uh, you know, every time we talk about Islam, I mean, like, we hear so much, which is now deemed the regressive left, the liberals out there that don't want to speak about it. They're Muslim apologists. They don't care. They la-la-la-la all the way through. <laughs> don't, want to, like, don't want to hear about Muhammad. They don't, don't want to address Muhammad. They think all Muslims are peaceful. I'm just like, uh, okay. Well, and that's what we're dealing with right now as a Muslim apologist out there. And uh, by the way, uh, for the record, you don't have to state it if you don't want. Uh, a lot of people have been asking me, is Bill an atheist or is he a Christian? I do not discuss my religion in public. That's, that's what I figured, yeah. I figured that was the answer. Look, I'm an old man. I'm 75 years old on Saturday. I don't have but about this much time left. I spend all of my time dealing with Islam. Absolutely. And if you, I've done this now for years. And if you're, care, if you're not careful, the first thing you know, you'll be off the Islam path and you're over in the weeds here about... Mm-hmm. Whatever. And I totally, I highly respect that from you, uh, Bill, no doubt. All right, I'm going to pass you over to Grant and Paul, and then if we have time, we'll get to uh, some viewer submissions. Grant, take it over there, buddy. How you doing, Dr. Warner? Doing great. That's good. I uh, just want to say I'm glad that you uh, came on to the show. Uh, it's well, really you. fun to, you know, to grasp as much knowledge as I can. Um, I want to stick with the, the apologist uh, area that, Joe just left off on um, with with the left being all for you know freedom of speech gay rights women's rights why do you think they are the biggest apologists for Islam you know I can't figure this out there is a, a self-proclaimed liberal named Bill Maher whom I give credence to because what he says is look I stand up for women's rights I stand against Islam because it does not give women their full rights. Mm -hmm. Then he says, people who call themselves liberals and progressive attacked me. He says, wait a minute, you can't have it both ways. Are you for women's rights or are you against women's rights? If you're for women's rights, how do you stand for Islam, which says that a woman can be beaten? As a matter of fact, in the Quran, we have beat your wife. 
In the Sharia, we have beat your wife. In the Hadith, we have wife beating. So, which is it? Are you for, are you for or against wife beating? Well, I haven't been against wife beating. Now, let me have an aside here and say, as a man who's been married for 53 years, I can understand the urge. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, man. Spot on, man. <laughs> that's my wife. So I am against wife beating. Therefore, I am against the Sunnah of wife beating. So when why? I think here's what I think. Uh, by the way, when I'm in front of a conservative audience, I always tell them I am not who you think I am. I was a long-haired hippie living in a commune. I was part of the civil rights movement. I am not who you think I am. My politics are much more complex than you think. We're missing the bow tie tonight, by the way. Just so you what? know. We're missing your bow tie tonight, by the way. Well, I only do bow ties for formal affairs, and you guys look pretty casual, way. quite frankly. I mean, dress up to come to your party. I know, I'm just messing. Right. Let me tell you why I wear a bow tie. I wear a bow tie because it looks geeky. My whole appearance is to be harmless. Look, geeks are smart, but they're harmless, right? And so, therefore, it's a little psychological warfare. It's like, well, the guy can't be too violent. Look Absolutely, at him. And he's got yeah. a bow tie on. That's so yeah. funny. Uh, so, sorry, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great thing to do. Uh, it it uh, staves off the people who are going to use it as a way to deflect of what you're saying. Just like when you say you don't talk about your religion. Why would you? It's just going to be another way for them to try to dismiss what you're saying. And deflection, of course. Yeah, it'll deflect onto that. So, yeah. Go ahead, Grant. I'm sorry. All right. Next, I want to jump on the, uh, uh, the Demi status. Uh, the Demi? Yes. Uh, ah. how, how did that affect uh, classical civilization? And uh, do you see something like that happening in the EU in the near future? Great question. Oh, there we go. Uh, let's spell the word first. D-H-I-M-M-I. -M -M -I. Yeah. It's an Arabic word. I tell people in my talks I'm going to teach you a little bit of Arabic, but don't, just relax because it'll all be mispronounced. I've had more than one Arab speaker say, you know the concepts, but you do not know how to pronounce them. <laughs> now, the Demi status changed world history. Because most people, when you look at the Middle East now and you see, well, Syria is uh, Muslim, Lebanon's Muslim, North Africa's Muslim, Egypt is Muslim, and on and on and on, Iraq. Those all used to be Christian political systems, but they're not there anymore. Now, most people figure, oh, see, the bad Muslims came in, they said convert or die. No, 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 no. That is not the way it works. Islam has of little interest as to whether you convert to it or not. All Islam wants is, is that the Sharia is in place. That is, that the civilization becomes a Sharia civilization. As to whether you convert or not, doesn't matter. Because under a Sharia civilization, after enough time goes on, your ancestor, your progeny will convert. Yeah, exactly. Let's take Turkey for an example. Islam invaded Turkey in 1300. It did not become 99% Islamic until the 20th century. Why did it become Islamic? Because a demi has no, is a second class subject. A demi can't testify against a Muslim in court. A demi can't preach the gospel. A demi, can't, a demi church can't even have its roof repaired until they get permission. A demi can't carry a sword, only a knife, can't ride a horse, only a, a donkey. And by the way, when you study the history of the Balkans and stuff, you find references to the fact that the Christian bishop had to ride a donkey. Wow. And you can't build a church higher than a mosque. And as a result, when I was in the Balkans, I saw churches which were primarily in the basement. Why? Because the roof couldn't go up very high. So in order to get all the height they needed, they went down into the rock to make a church that was half below ground. 
So the demi annihilates, the demi status annihilates Christian civilization or Hindu civilization or Buddhist civilization. I give you Afghanistan and Pakistan. So the demi makes civil life so unbearable. If a, if a young Muslim boy throws a rock at your wife and hits her, you can't go smack him upside of the head. You're not allowed to do that. And the demi has one thing which distinguishes it from the slave. That they are commanded by the Quran that the demi is to be humiliated. A slave is not to be humiliated. As a matter of fact, all the things about slaves are, they are to be treated well, fed well, and clothed well. Now, there's some other things that slaves can do that you can get done to them that we won't deal with from Yeah, exactly. But the fact is, is that a demi is to be humiliated. So what happens as time goes on? Oh, and also as a demi, you can't be the boss of a Muslim. You getting the drift here? It is a denigrating, humiliating experience that as the centuries go by, the civilization is now Islamic, and you just throw up your hands and say, I'm going to double my money, become powerful, and have a good job. I will become a Muslim. There is no God but Allah. Muhammad is his prophet. So the demi status is what actually changes civilization the most. And what upsets me is in both in Europe and in America, I see us adopting the position of the demi. The demi knows that Islam is always right. The demi knows that Islam is not to be resisted. So the demi concept, but by the way, demi, one last little thing here, is a person who signed a contract, and the contract is the demi. Unbelievable. Long answer, but I think an important. No, it was definitely spot definitely. on. It's very, very important, no doubt. And um, yeah. you know, the thing to expand on what Grant said, sorry guys, is um, we see this migration going on in the EU right now, and the p political correctness that is happening in countries like the UK, Sweden, and Germany. I'm like, it's getting so bad over there. I watch videos of them crossing the border, and then police, uh, you know, firing tear gas, gas at them. I just saw one today, and. Um, the, the border on the border of UK, I'm just like, man, it's getting really ugly over there, man. It really is, and a lot of people don't want to address it. They don't want to talk about, it, especially the people in America. We see these atheists that we, you know, that we talk to a lot in America. They don't want to address it. They don't care. They worry about being comfortable in, in America here. Um, do you think it'll be ever an issue in America? Like <laughs> what we see, what is going on in the EU? Real quick, it's already an issue, really. Okay. One of the things that Trump has made part of his cornerstone of his candidacy is immigration. It's the, it's the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. And I go to Europe exactly, twice yep. a year, by the way, and there are two different, there's two different kinds of response to the immigration in Europe. I go to Central Europe, that is what used to be Communist Europe, Hungary, Czech, Slovakia, uh, Poland. They have a very different attitude about Islam than the uh, people in America. My, I'm going to give a talk <clears throat> in North Carolina this weekend and more than likely, and I've never seen the audience before, most of the audience will be over the age of 55. Wow. In Europe, my audience is always under the age of 35. Nice. Now, this is Central Europe. Yeah. And I asked them, I said, what is the difference? They said, very simple. We remember the tyranny of the Soviets. Yep. We see Islam as the Soviets with a God, which makes it much, much worse. I want you to think about something. There are post-communist societies, there are post-Nazi societies, but there are no post-Islamic post societies. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah, I agree with that, yeah, no doubt. And, and demographic conquest is permanent. Yep. And you make some good graphs. Um, you know, I don't know who did your animation for that. 
but uh, I'll promote those videos too, where you see from uh, the 7th century all the way up to the 19th century, where you see the migration happening. I'm like, it's a beautiful visual detail mm -hmm. of the wars that have happened. And I love to add here, and Grant will get the poll, is uh, the Crusades, how a lot of people speak of the Crusades <laughs> thinking that it's a, it was an offensive ploy. In fact, when it was a defensive ploy, and I'm just like, uh, a lot of people really don't get that. And, and the Crusades don't compare. There's no comparison. It's false equivalence when you compare <clears throat> Crusades to the Islamic migration. Or, you know, Do you know what the worst thing is about that theory? It is advocated most by Christians. Yeah, that, that, yeah you're right on that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Christians, I come from the Bob, Nashville, Tennessee. is called the buckle on the Bible belt. And let me assure you that the church's pants are down around its ankles. <laughs> Christianity in Tennessee has become piety for your small community. The influence of the church no longer really goes beyond its parking lot, and the reason is the church has become very timid. So here we have the church, which needs to be a counterbalance against Islam. Islam is very aggressive, very alpha, very male, and the church, which should be pissy, pushing back, instead has become their chief apologist. The Muslim Brotherhood has said that the widest door into American society is the church door, and in Nashville, Tennessee, we see this. So the people most apt to tell you how bad the Crusades are are Christians, and I spoke with a Christian today who's interested in doing some work to change this within seminaries. He said, I took a course in the history of Islam, and it was like, well, yeah, they hurt a lot of Christians, but gosh, we did worse. Well, that's simply not true. I think you meant to say pissy there, too. I don't know if you meant... No, I'm just kidding. Well, I didn't really. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. We, you can believe it if that's too strong for you. No, no, we could. <laughs> no. no. I'm surprised. No, uh, I'm surprised none of us have cursed yet because we curse on the show. So uh, I, I'm uh, watching my. Do, I'm, I'm, I'm watching my mouth. I, I curse. Yeah, I'm being soldier, careful too. I was a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do curse. We're we're an open, relaxed uh, type of show. So uh, Grant, one more, and then we'll move on to Paul, and then some viewer submissions, and then we'll be good to go. Go, ahead, Grant. Uh, yeah. Before uh, before I ask the last question, I just want to thank you again for coming to the show. Um. You mentioned a lot in your speeches and interviews about the law of Islamic saturation. Could you expand a little bit on that? Well, I'm trying to explain the obvious. Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. When you look at Iraq, it's become almost all Islamic. Did you know that Persia used to be half Christian? Egypt used to be Christian. North Africa was Christian. Turkey was Christian. Egypt. So you look, and as the time goes on, they're all Muslim. Yep. Well, this is what I call saturation. And you ask yourself the question, I actually ask myself two questions. How come no one's ever dealt with this issue? The only times it doesn't become saturated with Islam is in Spain, where seven centuries of war drove them out, and in the Balkans, where another century of war drove them out. So if, if violence is not used, then Islam becomes everything. And it's what I call the law of saturation. Nice. Now, here's the thing. That is the result. What is the cause of saturation? Well, it's very simple. Muhammad said, I have been ordered to wage jihad against the Kafir until every one of them submits to the Shahada. That is, there is no God but Allah, Muhammad is his prophet. Yeah. So here we have a result, which is all the country becomes Islamic. And here we have a cause, which is the doctrine of jihad. The Kafir is despised, hated, and needs to be destroyed in every way possible until finally there are no more of them. Spot on, man. I love it. Uh, I want to um, expand a little bit here. It's basically just a statement. Uh, I've noticed, looking at pictures from the 1970s, 60s, and 70s before the um, Iranian Revolution, 
uh, you know, how the women used to dress back then in the 70s. And they used to wear bikinis and skirts and go to university. And you see them walking out of university and, you know, no headscarves, no uh, hijab. And I'm just like, wow, man, it looked, it looked pretty, you know, peaceful police, uh, place back then. But now it's just like, woof, <laughs> whoa. And of course, that was before the Iranian Revolution. Um, yeah, that was just a statement, actually. Uh, let's move on to uh, Paul here. Paul. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being on the show, uh, Dr. Warner. Just a few questions for me, and then we'll get to some viewer submissions. Sorry. Uh, so you talked about contradictions and things. What do you do in the cases of contradictions? Because people will say, well, you, can, you like I was saying, well, you don't do the comparative religion. But in the cases of Christianity, they just do whatever they want, whatever feels nice. And for Islam, is there a specific way you're supposed to look at it? You have to go for the later periods over the previous periods, or how do you? The Quran encourages you to active jihad, but now it also encourages you to participate in jihad by just the use of money. That is, you can give money. So the Quran is very clear that, the, let me give an example. Every religion has in some answer to the question, what happens after you die? Yeah. Well, Islam says, if you die a Muslim, you will suffer the punishment of the grave and the uncertainty of judgment day. Well, there's one shortcut which will totally eliminate all of that, which is to die as a shihad. That is, die in the act of jihad. Then you go straight to heaven. You skip all the punishment of the grave. You, you, you skip judgment day. You go directly to go. You do collect your $200. So, therefore... A Medinan Muslim, the jihadi Muslim, is better than the Meccan Muslim. But being a Meccan Muslim is perfectly all right. It's just you're not the full-throated, full-chest-thumping kind of Muslim. But you're still a Muslim. Yeah. So, look, most people don't really have, even no matter, unless they've suffered, suffered through too many first-person shooter games, really don't have fantasies of killing people. So, but here we have a model in which killing people is the ideal ethical life. So, you pay your money, you take your choice. You can be a Meccan Muslim, or you can be like most Muslims and not follow much of this stuff at all. Yeah. I was in Munich the last time I was in Europe, and I, this guy, the, said, a guy came to a political meeting, and they said he's a Muslim. I said, he's got a beer in his hand. So, I hollered at him, <laughs> and I says, hey, is that beer halal? <laughs> well, yeah. he's, he's what they call a moderate Muslim. He's a right. Muslim who's not following any of anything. He's never read the Quran. He's never read the Hadith. He's never read any Sharia. He doesn't know. He doesn't know anything. There's no so modern nice Muslim. There's, there's no modern Islam either. So he's an ignorant person who yeah. barely has his toe in the water. Totally agree, man. And, and the yeah, beer, man. by the way, is haram, not halal. <laughs> there we go, everybody. Even German beer. <laughs> das ist voll super. Das ist gut. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. Uh, okay, and then uh, briefly was mentioned the Crusades there. Now, when I actually had a person in, in I, I was talking to a person in person, of course, sorry, uh, who actually said, who tried to bring up the Crusades as a, an example of the, the bad things that the Catholics did in, in response to what's going on now. Um, I know you've touched on it quite a bit, but can you just briefly say, can you briefly summarize why that's a complete Okay. Wrong way to go about it. Nonsense equivalence. Wrong, yeah, nonsensical thinking, I should say. Yeah, I'll give you. A, I'll give you a brief description of the Crusades. They started in 1100, and they started with desperate cries from the Middle East, particularly around Jerusalem. Used, the concept of pilgrimage used to be a major part of Christianity. That is, you would take a long walk, a 
a long ship ride to go to the Holy Land. Well, this was becoming increasingly difficult. Christians were being driven out of Jerusalem. And so the Byzantine archbishop, not archbishop, there's another word I'm looking for here, but can't come up with it. Basically, hmm, anyway, said to the Pope, please help us out. And so the Pope looked out in a world in which Islam was advancing through Turkey. Islam was already in Spain in 1100, remember? Mm -hmm. So he sees on the left and the right, Christianity in Europe is being outflanked. So he agrees to do so. Now then, as we know, there were several crusades done, and most of them done badly. I'm just talking about from a battle standpoint, because the the major part of the European knighthood was came from France, and what did they know about fighting in the Middle East? Well, nothing. Right. So the, we had several crusades. There was some territory taken, but it was all temporary. The crusades were all defensive. Remember, Correct, yeah. Jerusalem was a Jewish Christian town. All of that area was Christian. So now then, right. when they were trying to drive the, you see, who were the invaders? The invaders were Muslims, the mm-hmm. Islam. So that's who they were trying to drive out. All of the crusades were defensive. And, by the way, another comparison about the crusades is they ended 800 years ago. Yeah. Someone died today because of jihad. So Jihad has been going for 1,400 years. Yep. It's active today. And the Crusades lasted for basically 200 years. I don't mean I have my math right there. But anyway, it's been over a long time. Yeah, 13 Crusades. I failed to find moral equivalents here. Yeah, I think there yeah. was a, a, yeah. a relevant point, but I think there were 13 Crusades, I think. Something like that. I forget. I've forgotten when they ended. But anyway, back to the math quickly. But anyway, they ended 800 years ago. Yeah, exactly. right. It's irrelevant. And that actually ties right into my, my last question before we go to the viewer submissions is uh, why, in your opinion, do you think that people are constantly going for this guilt of things in history or guilt of uh, just this guilt to explain away the atrocities and explain away the, um, I don't know, the cognitive difference when people say, oh, it's a religion of peace, but then you have all this other nasty thing. Why do they go to the guilt automatically to try to, I have an answer for that. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good question. They're frightened to death and willing to give any reason to justify doing nothing. Now, we have two enemies here. One enemy is Islam, but the enemy that's defeating us is not Islam. The near enemy is the progressive political correctness. That's what's defeating us. I told you I'm going to give a talk this weekend in North Carolina. I have already been called in the media a racist, hater, Islamophobic bigot. Mm Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. Now, I've had this happen so much to me, it's like, whatever. But this is not true of most people. Most people see themselves as virtuous people, with faults maybe, but see themselves as virtuous. And they do not want to be spoken ill of. So, people today are so sensitive about offending minorities. Yeah, and one yeah. and a half billion Muslims are yes. minorities. So right. Right. So... What we have here is fear, fear of being called a hater and a bigot and a racist, fear of being a bad person, because let's face it, most people build their, don't have enough within side to stand on their own. They constantly need support of their community. Those who can just, just stand on their own internal feelings are very rare people. So here we have people who suspect that things aren't right. But they don't want to speak up because they're afraid. They don't want to be called a bigot, a hater, a racist, and an Islamophobe. And by the way, 
Let me say that I am one of America's top ten racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobes. Wow. The Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, SP. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Southern I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing your advice would just be power through it and ignore these people. Well, I like to expose them, to be honest. To an extent. Yeah. I, I, like I think we need to judge the harm of doing and the harm of not doing. Correct. The harm of doing means you'll get criticized and called bad names. The harm of not doing means the loss of our civilization. Yep. Here's the deal. I'm willing to take the abuse if it will save my civilization. Now, my civilization has a lot of problems. It, if I need to, I can go off on a long rant. Remember, I was a long-haired hippie. Right. <clears throat> but to me, my civilization is based on the golden rule or unitary ethics, which means all people will be treated alike, and the critical thought. Islam does not tolerate critical thought. It only supports authoritative thought. I want to save my civilization of critical thought and unitary ethics. So I take the hit. Yeah, and I share I share that view with you, and I share that that feeling. So yeah, that, I, yeah, yeah, that fantastic. Whole, that whole rant was oh. amazing because uh, people like me, Paul and Grant and uh, Anthony, who who is not here, he couldn't make it. Uh, we address university, the universities out there that adhere to um, you know um, political correctness and social justice warriors, and like you stated, it's like when you talk about minorities, you talk about Islam, you talk about Black Lives Matter, all that stuff. We're not going to get into that, but you're deemed a racist. I'm like, it's just a way to deflect and to eliminate any kind of further discourse on the issue. It's just like you're done. You're racist. You're bigoted, and then their friends see that and they they think you're racist or bigoted. I'm, like, I'm just being honest here. I'm speaking. Yeah. Truth, and that's what it boils down to. Is speaking the way, fucking truth. Remember the North Carolina true. trip in which I mean called everything but kind. <clears throat> One of the people who spoke out for my censorship and said he should never be allowed to speak was the president of a community college. Wow. Well, mm. well, oh, yeah, yeah. The collapse of critical thought. Yep. This that, is the absolute. Oh, yes. Let me give you another example. Sorry, you you stepped on a uh, a sore toe here. Yeah, you about the Good. I live in and I am used to claim proudly that I graduated with my undergraduate degree at Vanderbilt University. I'm not so keen about that anymore. A f colleague of mine, Carol Swain, a black tenured professor, made some remark in her law class, says, I'm, this is not politically correct, and made some comment about, I think, homosexuality, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. It was front page news on the Tennessean. The president of the university said we're apologizing to the students that these words were spoken. She has tenure, so we can't fire her. But we have established a psychological counseling hotline for those who've been traumatized by hearing these ideas they don't agree with. What they the? Didn't, they didn't create a safe space with, like, putties and puppies instead? <laughs> Fuzzy I mean, bunny slippers and hot Do you realize things? what they're saying? If you come to Vanderbilt, we will guarantee you will never hear an idea which causes you any suffering. I believe that. that. Stay that's home. Not, Watch daytime television. The university should be the top place for critical thought. Yeah, exactly, yeah. dude. Discussion and debate and, and, and inquiry and all that stuff, man. It's just unbelievable, man, that we're dealing with this. Established a psychological counseling hotline. That's amazing, man. That is wow, amazing. That's, that's yeah. face palm. I think we need Bill to do a face palm there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, f fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for answering my questions, Bill. And I think you're a nice guy, so I'm not going to call you any any type of those names. <laughs> and go. I'm going to pass you off. I'm going to pass you back to Joe so we can get some viewer <laughs> submissions here. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Grant. Uh, Bill, right. uh, you, you stated you were a hippie, man. Did you smoke any pop back in the day, man? Come on. 
<laughs> we don't discuss religion, and we don't discuss things which might hinder my run for the presidency. <laughs> no. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> oh, man, we like to make it fun here. All right, uh, three quick uh, viewer submissions, and I think we're done here. We've got about eight minutes left. Um, first one is, and uh, forgive me, these are viewer submissions from Twitter, limited amount of characters, so try to read through it. <laughs> I know, really, right? I should have did it on our Facebook, but I didn't. Uh, Crush Endo ask, I assume Doc, Dr. Warner uh, Warner uh, gets some hate mail. Would he share either in a video or on your show? I guess this pertains to hate mail. Do you got anything that sticks out hate mail that you would like to uh, share with us? Well, let me, I, I do get, well, let's just say that I get remarks which disparage my intelligence or the ability to carry on a conversation. Yeah. However, most of them are not from Muslims. Rarely ever do Muslims come on and criticize me. I can believe that. It's mostly the left and the progressives yep, and yep. the Hillary voters. Maybe the Bernie voters, too. Oh, Jesus. So Especially the Bernie from, voters, not trust from me. Muslims, <laughs> but from the apologists for Islam. Yeah, I totally agree with Darren. Like, uh, the Young Turks, I don't know who they, if you know who they are. Oh, my God. They're just, <laughs> oh, my God. They, they were good, but now they're just atrocious right now. All right, uh, next question is by Vadim Belus. Um, what is the source slash cause of Muslim victim mentality and blaming everyone and everything on the outside world slash Jews? Great question. And one I haven't been asked before, but I have an answer. There we go. Guess what the answer is going to be? Uh, Muhammad. <laughs> Muhammad. <laughs> simple, straight to the point. He was simple. always right. He was never wrong. And anything that went wrong... For instance, the first jihad of killing took eight tries before they got it right, and on the eighth or ninth try, they managed to kill, rob, and kidnap. But it turns out, when the Muslims, when the Arabs said, hey, you you violated Arab war law by doing what you did because you, I forget what it was, I think they captured on a day of, on a month of Ramadan when you weren't supposed to be having war. Yeah. And they said, well, it's true that that was bad, but what was worse was you drove me out of town. Islam is always the victim. It is the eternal victim. Yep. It is never wrong. It is perfect. And everything that goes wrong is because we sabotaged it. So it is a victim mentality, Allah and Muhammad. That's what pisses me off when I hear about um, terrorist attacks in the EU or in the West in general. You had these Muslims coming out and these organizations like CARE come out. And they're like, us poor Muslims, we're the victims because we're going to get hated on. We're the what? victims. Never addressing why. The why. Why this happened. They're the victims. Well, victim after 9 11, we discovered that Muslims were the real victims because somebody stared at his wife's hijab in the checkout line. Yeah, yeah. They were the real victims. And people don't like me so much. And they ask me questions I don't like. You know, it's just not fair. It is amazing, man, what? the victim complex, man. I just can't, it, uh, I can't fathom why somebody would do that, but I still call them out, of course. But go ahead, Paul. Isn't, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Isn't Islamophobe, uh, wasn't it created by the Muslim Brotherhood to kind yes. of excuse I believe away so, shit? yeah. Was, uh, stuff? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I've never figured out what an Islamophobe is. <laughs> it, it's invalid. It's, it's, it, it doesn't <laughs> make sense. <laughs> Unwarranted uh, irrational yeah. fear of Islam, it's how is it? very hard. It's a rational fear. Yeah, it's a rational fear. Phobia yeah. is a rational fear, but fear in Islam, it's a rational fear. So I, I just don't understand. It's, it's By the way, I think being afraid of jihadists of the sword is a reasonable fear, absolutely. not a rational fear. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Um, my last question, I think we're done here, and we'll do an outro. Was the Islamic civilization enlightenment, as many people say it is, 
or is it a lie? You guys ask great questions. Well, well why thank you there, Bill. <laughs> well, I do a lot of interviews, okay? <laughs> yeah, we try to be, uh, you know, odd and out there and, you know, try to pinpoint all right. questions. Then now that I, with the sidebar remark, I've kind of forgotten what the question was. Tell it to me again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's all, it's all good. No, our, follower, our followers, we have a great fan base uh, for the show. Uh, the question was, again, uh, by Hearn 900, which I did not say. Hearn 900 asked, was the Islamic civilization enlightenment, as many people say it is, or is it, it a lot? There you go. This was the so-called Enlightenment period was in the Abbasid period, the second dynasty, well, it could be called the third dynasty, but picky, picky. Anyway, in which there was an argument that went forth, the Muslims were exposed to Greek thought, and so there was this whole business of rational thought. So they're like, hey, you know, a little rational thought might go a long way here. Two centuries later, however, Islamic philosophy reached the final conclusion. There is no cause and effect. There are no natural laws, and the Quran is always right, and philosophy is unnecessary. Yeah. Let's go over that again. I'm a scientist. Do you know what happens to science if you take away cause and effect and laws of nature? In the scientific method. You don't method. have any science. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it started off, it's like Islamic philosophy got a running start, went into the air, and then came back to the ground and has never gotten its wheels off the ground since. Yeah. So with this philosophy, you can understand why there has never been a Nobel Prize given in science to a Muslim working in an Islamic nation. Now, there have been some Nobel Prizes shared by Muslims, but none one on their own. And when you realize no cause and effect, it basically says no critical thought. So how, what is the greatness of a civilization without critical thought? Uh, no, there, there can't be. You, know, you have to have critical thought. I'm like, it's what we promote on the show is uh, skepticism, rationality, critical thought, especially, and that's it's what this show is about. And and of course, you're a part of that, I'm sure. But uh, you know, it's what the show is about. It's about thinking, uh, giving people the information, let them decide what the facts are, what the truth is, and try to be objective as possible. That's what we're about here on the show. So, uh, for me, I think Paul has one last question, and then I think we're done here. I think we're spot on. Two minutes left, Paul. Good. Yes, actually, I this I wrote this down, and since you were talking about science, it's a perfect question. Can you, uh, and since you're a physicist and uh, you have other degrees too, can you explain how salt and fresh water don't mix? Because apparently <laughs> they don't. What? <laughs> the the, oh, the salt and fresh water, whenever they come in contact, they won't mix, according to a uh, certain verse. So, uh, can you explain how that's possible? <laughs> I can't explain that. That's oh, good. Okay. <laughs> but uh, to end here. Uh, well, darn it. Darn it. Never mind. This Quranic science thing, it's tricky. Let me tell you, it's real tricky. <laughs> uh, thank um, you, Bill. I, I appreciate yes, it. Thank you. Um, yeah, our show is trying to be the forefront on combatant political Islam. It's, it's not that, you know, favorable as it should be. But, you know, we're doing our best here, and it's uh, due to people like you, Bill. So, uh, Bill, thanks for your uh, wisdom, your research, and your fight against... Let's not forget to pitch my website, Political Islam. Oh, oh, I'm going. No, don't worry. It's going to get there. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, so, no, I appreciate your wisdom, your research, and your fight against political Islam by being ob objective on the issue. And for anybody that, wanna that wants to check out Bill, check him out on YouTube, Political Islam. And also check out his website, purchase his book, support Bill at politicalislam.com. Correct? All right. That's it. We're good. Bill, thank you very much, man. It well, was thank a you. Pleasure. I'm enjoying myself. 
Oh, that's good. good. You enjoyed good. yourself. It's I, fantastic talking to you. Yeah, sorry for talking definitely. over you, Joe. Yeah, this is going to be a really good interview. So, Paul, Grant, say goodbye, and we're out of here. Bill, wonderful. Thank Thanks, you. Bill. Great interview. Bye. Great, Bye. Great interview. Take care, guys. Be good.